We're coming to the end of Colossians. Uh, I'm sort of entitling this section of it, Christ and His People, because it's really about people. Uh, the various people that uh, were engaged in ministry with Paul. And so uh, we're going to have fun with that, I think. Um, I'm having fun with it, anyway. Colossians 4. We're going to work on uh, 7 through 9, but I'll read through the end here. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, Greet you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heriopolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha, and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And I say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, open the eyes of our hearts this morning, that indeed we would see Jesus high and lifted up, that we might see his incredible majesty and supremacy, that believing in his supremacy, we might see his sufficiency. Open our eyes to the hope to which we have been called in Christ Open our eyes to the immeasurable greatness of His power at work in and for us who believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. And we ask this for His glory and our good. Amen. It was sort of a crazy week this past week. Um, I felt a lot of pressure kind of going on because we had the... uh, celebration for Elder Riggleman on Saturday, and there was a lot to get done, and there were other people doing other things, but I wasn't sure how that was going, and wondering if I'd give them too little notice to pull this thing off. Thankfully, I didn't. And, uh, you know, but I'm working on the slideshow, and it's consuming more and more of my time, and I'm trying to get to the, the Word of God, and, but I'm consumed by the slideshow, man. 
And then there's my daughter's surgery later in the week. So I've, I feel this, uh, you know, I've got to finish everything as much as I possibly can before when, uh, Thursday when she goes into surgery. And so it was kind of strange on Tuesday when I showed up. Thanks to my daughter, we had taken a brief moment at the dog park before we showed up. And so we, we came and we got school books unpacked and brought into the, into the church. I turned on my computer and got ready to go and had to bring something to the um, mailbox. And this huge van pulls up, kind of like, hmm, they must be turning around. And no, they stopped. They parked, they stopped, and two young ladies got out. And I'm like, what's this going on? And it was in the, the midst of, of talking with them, I invited them into my office. We sat down and talked, and they were actually from a Christian camp north of Santa Fe. A long way to drive to give me a pamphlet for their camp. But what was nice about it is that they didn't just tell me about their church. They also asked, how can we pray for you? And I said, well, you know, i got a lot going on, and this is how you can pray for me. And they they prayed for me there. They didn't just, you know, kind of say, all right, we'll keep that in mind. They actually prayed for me there. It was then that I said, you know what? You made my sermon. Because they were a living illustration of essentially what we're talking about this morning, what Paul was talking about. I have no big idea because it didn't all fit into one nice little package, so you have three ideas. The first idea is to trust Christ is sufficient to make us faithful. And all of these are going to really kind of drive with the imperatives, so hang with me, all right? We are to trust Christ that he is sufficient in order to make us faithful. Paul begins to wrap up this letter, and he's going to bring up a lot of names, some of which we can't pronounce, and one of which I know I'm going to continue to stumble over, and the first one I'm just going to call Ty. So if I say Ty, you know who I'm talking about, all right? That's the, that's the guy. Because I just know I'm going to, I can't even say that guy. I always like drop off that C. And, uh, okay. So he, he begins with these two men who are carrying the letter. Okay? There's no internet for him to send it. There's no United Postal Service. There's no FedEx guy. He sends two men that he trusts to deliver the letter. The first is Ty, whose name, the long form, means fortunate. And Ty was a member of Paul's ministry team, and he had picked him up somewhere along the way, and he was from the province of Asia, which Colossae was located within that province of Asia in the Roman Empire. We see him mentioned in Acts 20. Paul was accompanied by Sopater, son of Phyrus from Berea, Aristarchus, who we'll, I believe we'll see again, um, and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Ty and Tromepheus from the province of Asia. And so he was one of the Gentiles that had re- received the gospel from the preaching of Paul, most likely, and then had grown in his faith and decided he wanted to tag along with Paul and engage in ministry. So he was part of Paul's ministry team that traveled the ancient world, making Christ known. And he was with Paul in Rome, and Paul sent him out to bring this letter. The second person that he mentions is Onesimus. Now, Onesimus is different. As we're going to see, he's not part of Paul's ministry team. In fact, though, he is, as Paul says, um, one of them. 
meaning the Colossians. He's someone who is originally from Colossae. And the reason why he is in Rome initially is not necessarily a good reason. He was a slave of a man named Philemon. And unfortunately for, I guess, Philemon, he ran away. We're not sure how or why he ended up finding Paul, but he did. And it was the ministry of the gospel uh, that he heard from Paul that he believed, became a Christian, became, as we'll see when we study uh, Philemon in uh, November, that he became finally useful, as his name indicates. He was essentially useless to Philemon before, but he becomes useful, and Paul sends him back. To Colossae. Paul says this about both of them. A beloved brother. He says that. He repeats it for Anisimus. Signifies both men's. In other words, Paul has an, a deep, abiding affection and love for these two men. They have been graciously loved by God. What was said at the beginning of uh, chapter 3 in terms of, uh, oh, where is that? Of course, now I have to get my glasses. I love these eyes. Okay. In verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So what was true of the Colossians as a group, that they were beloved by God, is also true of these two men that Paul is sending to them. They are beloved by God, but they are also beloved by Paul. He continues, both are called faithful, but the tie is called a faithful minister. What's interesting about that word minister, it's the one we get deacon from. So don't, when, you, when he says this, faithful minister, don't get in your mind, you know, so much pastor, but more deacon. Okay? And so he's, he's someone who probably is more engaged in the ministry to those who are hurting, to those who need help, uh, in, in serving the church at large. Every good ministry team needs deacons. Our ministry team needs deacons. I'm thankful for the deacons that we have. And we're going to get more. That's good. Onesimus, however, I would think would not be a likely candidate to be called faithful. Remember, because, precisely because he was a runaway slave, it would be, appear to that he was an undependable type of person, an unreliable type of person. He was supposed to be faithfully serving a particular person in his household and ran away. And yet Paul talks of him as though he's reliable. What happened? How did both of these men become faithful? The gospel. That's how they became faithful. Yesterday, we celebrated a particular man in our congregation, our elder emeritus, because of his faithfulness. He became faithful to Christ in the same, the same way that these men became faithful to Christ. First, they had faith in the gospel message. 
And it was that faith in the gospel message that resulted in them becoming, over time, reliable, precisely because it changed the character of their hearts from fleeting to steady. From caught up in self to being devoted to self-sacrifice. And so it was, it was the message of this Jesus that Paul has been proclaiming to the Colossians. Jesus who is supreme. Jesus who is sufficient. That create, who was, who was sufficient to also make them faithful. Now, let's read between the lines a little bit. That stands in contrast to the false teaching that the Colossians have been getting from these other teachers. With the focus upon Angels and rights and secret knowledge. So what Paul is essentially saying, you know, kind of like wink, wink, is the way to become faithful is the way that I've been telling you about, not the way that those other teachers who have come in behind Epaphras have been teaching you. Their way will keep you weak in Christ. Their way will keep you immature in Christ. Their way will make you faithless in Christ. But this way, clinging to Jesus alone, will make you a faithful person. That's sort of the between the lines what's going on here. He's giving them examples of the men that are produced by the doctrine he's been teaching them. We have to pay attention to that. This is not just a, oh, well, a list of names. But there is richness here. Not only that, but in speaking of Ty, he also says that he was a fellow servant of the Lord. He is mature through the gospel. Not only that, that idea of fellow servant, it's, it's, they have the same Lord. Both Paul and Ty are living in submission to Jesus Christ. Paul is not on a level above him because he's an apostle, but he sees himself as a co-laborer, co-servant with this man. This man that he loves, this man that he trusts. So if we seek to be faithful or reliable, we must trust Christ as he is presented to us in the gospel. My second idea, make Christ supreme in our ministry. Both of these men are going to come and they're going to deliver this letter. Hopefully both of them will be welcomed. We're not sure about Onesimus. But after they read the letter, they should welcome him. Ty will also be delivering letters to Laodicea, as we see here in verse 16, but also to Ephesus, as we see in the parallel letter in chapter 6, verses 21 and 22. So Ty is delivering more than one letter. He's, he's probably going along the trade routes and delivering letters to a number of churches in addition to these, because he's a faithful man. He's been, giving, he's been entrusted with much. But there's something else. Paul also sent him so that you may know about our circumstances. And Paul repeats this as well about Onesimus. Okay? This is nearly identical to what we see in Ephesians chapter 6 when Ty is mentioned there as well. And so their secondary purpose was to let the Colossians know all things concerning Paul. 
those girls that came and visited me, their purpose was to tell me all things concerning their camp. They told me that it used to be owned by Lifeway and it had been sold to the board of directors and they're shifting their emphasis a little bit and doing more with, with uh, outdoor adventure because they had so much land out there. It sounded really cool to me. It sounded even better when they said that pastors and their old families can go for free. What am I going to Santa Fe next? <laughs> Presbytery in a year. I might stay there. Okay? But they let me know what was going on with them. And that was a very good thing. And that's what Paul wanted these two men to do for the Colossians. Remember, he had never met the Colossians. And so he's letting them know about him through these two men. Years ago, when I was a young Christian, I, my first summer in Christ in the new church I had started to attend, there was a guy there that I got to know and became friends, and he went to Emmaus Bible College. And so when he would write me, Brian would always put down Proverbs 25, 25. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Paul is seeking to give them good news from a far country. He's seeking to refresh their souls through the ministry of Ty and Onesimus. But note the difference that's here. He wrote about Christ, but he has them speak of Paul in Paul's circumstances. Let's, let's, let's stop for a second. He writes about Christ precisely because they need, they need, they will need to continually go back to that letter to be reminded of these eternal truths about Christ and how it applies. The circumstances of Paul may change. He doesn't feel a need to waste paper to tell them about his circumstances. What he wants them to know, most of all, is about Christ. It is necessary that they know more of Christ. It is nice, better than nice, that they know of Paul's circumstances. Or, to put it a different way, it is of the esse, of the essence. It is necessary that they know of Christ. It is for their Benny Essie, their well-being, that they know how Paul is doing. Okay? It's good that they know about Paul, but it's excellent that they know about Jesus. And so Paul tells them about these two things in these two different ways, I think, for that very express purpose. The message of Jesus was far more important, and it was far more life-changing than Paul's circumstances. Paul is seeking to build a better relationship with them. But, no, but it, whether or not they have a good relationship with him is secondary. What really matters is that they have a vital relationship because they're in union with Christ by faith. In a sense, what we see here is that the Bible gives us the meta-narrative, the big story. And our circumstances are sort of scenes in the story. If you can imagine for a moment the difference between, uh, well, we saw a bunch of these yesterday at the slideshow, pictures. Those pictures capture moments in time. 
versus a movie, which is a string of pictures that capture how those moments play out on a much larger stage. And so your circumstances and the circumstances of this church at this moment are sort of like pictures. And we need to remember that those pictures fit into a much larger story. The story of Christ and the church. And so as a result, when we, when we do that, what happens is that we gain a greater perspective on our circumstances because we see a context that goes beyond our circumstances. We were talking about this in Sunday school with the book of Revelation. And it would be easy for some of those uh, Christians who received the, this book initially, the original audience, to kind of go, my circumstances are not so good right now. Maybe God has kind of forgotten me. And what John is doing is putting them in the larger context so they can see that Jesus is faithful, that Jesus himself has tasted death. They need not fear tasting death in the hands of their persecutors. They will prevail. And so we too tend to shrink our lives down to the present and we need to see both what God has done in the past and what he promises to do in the future. We need to stick our story into the bigger story instead of seeing it as somehow disconnected from what Christ has done. Focus on how our sto- your story and ours, our church's story, it's not just your personal story, fit into this, this larger, greater story. And that's part of what I was trying to do with that slideshow. Pointing to how the ministry of this church is much larger than, the min- than this church over the years. There were pictures of missionaries and RUF people, pictures of church plants, Members who are still faithfully serving Christ, but in other churches, give us a larger perspective on what's going on. And so our ministry should keep Christ supreme and others secondary. My third thought, my third idea, encourage one another in and through Christ. Ty in a sense, is serving the Colossians in Paul's place in another way, too. Not only is he communicating how things are going with Paul, but Paul sends him there expressly to encourage their hearts. Paul thought they needed encouragement, and he just didn't pray for it. He sent a man to do it. That's a good thing. We see this uh, a word with the same root in John 14, when Jesus speaks of the Spirit. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. I'm sure you've heard sermons on that word, paraclete. We will when we get to John. Of course, it'll be a while before we get to John 14, but we'll get there. And so it's, it's the same root word. Okay, one's a noun, one's a verb, but they're, but they're both connected. Not only that, but we see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when Paul says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And so the word that in 2 Corinthians 1 is trans, uh, translated comfort is the same word that is, used, that is translated encourage. They both have the same idea. Our meaning, how we use comfort has turned over time, changed over time. It used to have that idea of to give strength to somebody, comforte, with strength. Okay, That's the word, you know, encourage is sort of that way to, to grant courage to someone who's faltering. And so both of those fit within the same dynamic range. And so the Colossians' hearts, from Paul's perspective, precisely because of the false teaching that they have been encountering, their hearts were most likely weak. Their hearts were inconsistent. They, their thoughts were perhaps unstable as a result of what they've been hearing. And so Paul sends the letter to encourage them, but he also sends tie to encourage them. He's not only going to deliver the letter, but he's going to engage in personal ministry. So uh, those young ladies, when they came, they didn't just tell me about what was going on, but they also said, how can we pray for you? That was encouraging to me. Because I was starting to feel the pressure of the deadlines coming in upon me. and It was good to to regain a, a greater sense of the context. In Corinthians, the problem was not, well, it was false teaching. But in addition to that, there was some suffering that was going on. Sometimes we need to be strengthened at heart as we encounter trials and tribulations. Due to the reality of sin and suffering that we all experience, I mean, right, we all commit sin, okay, we all, all of us, Ken's not sure. Okay, good. I was going to let you know (laughs) if there was any question. (laughs) We all experience suffering as well. There's hardship that we encounter because we live in a fallen world. And because other people sin, and, and especially because Adam sinned, we all experience suffering as well as sin. And as a result, all of us will need encouragement from time to time. Moms who have been home all day dealing with the rebellious crowd, known as their children, will need encouragement. Men or women who have gone off to work and dealt with students or bosses or suppliers and it's gone haywire that day, they need encouragement. We all need encouragement at times. And so it's not strange that Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 would say, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. In a sense, here Paul is, again, laying out someone as an example He's, he's sneaky sometimes, that Paul. He sends them tie to encourage them so that they might learn to encourage one another. 
He's talked about, uh, the, in the virtue list, he talked about love and compassion and all of these things. And what he's doing is he's not just talking about them in the letter, but he's sending a man to them who will personify it. A man who has been remade in the image of Jesus Christ and therefore will show them what it looks like in flesh and bone for a mere mortal. So they might go, yeah, Jesus can make us like that too. It can happen. And so we need encouragement, particularly from the word of Christ. And I imagine that Ty was applying the doctrine that Paul had talked about to their particular circumstances, pressing it in as a balm, as a medicine, as needed. I thought this week of something that Amy had, uh, I guess her BSF leader had quoted from John Piper, and I thought this was an appropriate quote because it does exactly what I'm talking about. The more you bask in the sovereignty of your God, the more you can relax in the complexity of your life. We all get overwhelmed with the complexity of life. Most of us wear multiple hats. You know, got my pastor hat, got my husband hat, got my daddy hat, got my son hat, got my brother-in-law hat, got my friend hat. There's a lot of hats I wear. And you're no different. You may even have more hats than I do. And it gets life gets complex especially in this information age. We can often feel overwhelmed with what we hear kind of going on. And, and uh, yeah, I got a minute. Now, we're hearing about the, the persecution that's taking place in other parts of the world. And someone in an article had written, why aren't the Christians in America doing anything about it? And part of me goes, what am I supposed to do about it besides pray? I mean, am I supposed to like stand in the streets like a Islamist and threaten that we're going to do something horrible if they don't stop persecuting my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? I've kind of felt that the increasing complexity of our modern and postmodern existence sort of, you know, it stresses us out. We think like we're responsible for more than we're really responsible for. That doesn't mean we're not concerned about these things and want to change things as much as we can, but. We have to bask in the sovereignty of God to recognize that I'm not supposed to take care of everything. You're not supposed to take care of everything. That God does actually have it all under control, even if it feels like it's coming apart at the seams even if it feels like there's not enough hours in the day to get everything done and to meet all the deadlines. Even if it feels like there's not enough time in the day to deal with all the crying children, all the angry children, all the meals and clothes that have to get done. Even when it feels that way, that's exactly the time we need to bask in His sovereignty to know that He's really in control and and He's... If I don't get something done, it's okay. 
That's an example, I think, of trying to take a doctrine and apply it to a circumstance so that it actually is encouraging, giving strength to the heart to one who is weary and weak. Last night, I think, was another example. I, I, I thought it was encouraging to Dick to see the, the bigger picture, the things that he may have forgotten, the people that he that may have like you know faded into the past, and to remember a lot of those good times of ministry with others. One of the interesting things about the pictures of Dick is usually he's in the background. He wasn't one who sought the limelight, but faithfully served. I think it was encouraging to the congregation, to the people who were there, just to remember God's faithfulness over the decades. As we begin to face a future, we need to be encouraged. And so where do you need encouragement? Do you need it in parenting? Do you need it in marriage? Do you need it at work? Sometimes we have to be vulnerable and humble and ask for it. Not the last thing we want to do. That's the first thing we need to do, is risk asking for it. And I think one of the good places we can do that is community groups. That's part of why we have community groups. That you can grow in your vulnerability with one another to ask for and receive encouragement as needed. So Paul had a purpose for Ty and Onesimus going to Colossae. Threefold purpose. They were to deliver the letter Ty and Onesimus were to get them up to date on Paul. And then Ty was also to encourage them. To do this, they had to be reliable, trustworthy men. It's the gospel they believed that made them trustworthy for such tasks. It is the gospel they believe that can make you trustworthy for such tasks. It was also the basis for their encouragement. Paul shows us yet again that Christ and the gospel are essential to our life of faith because Jesus alone is supreme and sufficient to restore us, not just to God, but to restore God's image in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these two largely forgotten men and the role they played in the life of that church. That was an important role. And so we thank you for faithful men like them. And we ask that you would continue to make us faithful people, increasingly more faithful than we already are. Father, thank you for the the people here who are faithful who are reliable, who are diligent. Those who notice when others are faltering and offer help. And those who, when they're faltering, cry out for help. Father, continue to work in us that we would be increasingly more of a 
of a loving community as you intend. Continue to reshape and refashion us and instruct us by your word and help us to listen. Not just listen, but to believe. And by believing, begin to act in obedience to you. And that only happens as your spirit is at work among us. And so we ask for your spirit to work. In Jesus' name, amen.